We are in the book of Titus, the letter to Titus, um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Hear these words. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of our Lord. You, can, you may be seated. <clears throat> Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity we have to sit under um, your word, to consider it, to set aside the things which might distract us, some which are good, some which are troublesome. We pray that you would use your spirit to speak words of grace and goodness to us. May we see your love in a new way. May we be refreshed by it. May we um, be amazed at how good you are as our God who gives all good things, who gives them to us and pours them out upon us because you love us. Father, be with us now. May your words go forth in power. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a pleasure to be uh, with you guys again this week, uh, this Sunday. My name is Lee Wright. I am the RUF campus minister at UTSA, uh, Reformed University Fellowship is what RUF stands for. I'm uh, ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, but we are uh, like a brother-sister denomination with the OPC. So uh, it is a gift to be here and also to be so close uh, to UTSA and to be able to, to share the Word of God and also share what we're doing and encourage you uh, with what's going on over there. Um, so this is my third year of being the campus minister at UTSA, and it is really the first normal year on campus uh, because of uh, COVID and shutdowns, and then last year um, a lot of classes were online, so we just didn't get a full picture of what it was like to do ministry on campus. So the Lord has been really kind. Um, I've met a lot of people this semester. Uh, it just started five weeks ago, so not even that, four weeks ago. And so um, we're going into our fifth week of, of being on campus, but I'm excited. I'm thrilled with the students that we have. A couple of, of um, fun things is that we have a leadership team for the first time ever. Uh, so there are some students that I'm personally investing in who are investing in uh, their friends and the people on campus. Uh, we have a freshman Bible study for the first time ever at UTSA. That's been a group of people that have been difficult to reach. Um, and then we also have a dinner and discussion meeting that has turned into more of like a large group setting. So I'm actually teaching uh, from the Bible in, a, in sermon form. Um, it's a little bit shorter than a sermon, more like a homily. But um, anyway, if you could be praying for all of those things. Um, and then I've had, uh, I haven't shared this with Nathan yet, but I've had some interesting health issues and I need um, probably a sinus surgery. So um, if you guys could be praying for me, because that slowed me down a little bit. Um, I actually wasn't able to go to our leadership retreat because of it. So um, just pray for all of those things if you, if you get the chance. I know that there are some prayerful people in this church, so that's the reason I share this with you guys. 
Um, and so this is the text that I taught our students from this Tuesday or this Wednesday night, getting used to switching days. And um, it, I, I wanted to give it to them because the grace of God is something that um, people in the Reformed faith, Presbyterians, but others really love and cherish. And so we're I'm doing a series really on the basics of what it means to be a Christian, but secretly, not so secretly, it's really what people uh, like us really, really love. Um, and so the grace of God is something that is extremely powerful and extremely nourishing. And it points us back to the love of God. But one of the things that makes it so wonderful right now is that everything else is not grace. In fact, uh, our lives often drown us and often makes it to where we have to do more work and strive harder and harder and harder. Um, We often are stuck in traffic, and that's exhausting. We're often dealing with raises and taxes or things that just cause us to work a little bit harder. Inflation has been a killer this year. And so it makes it to where our lives get to be really tiring. And so it is such good news to hear that God poured out his grace on us because he loves us. And you might not be feeling that way right now, but there are messages that we hear in our world and in our culture. Again, you need to do better. You maybe just have to, you, you have to do something to uh, constrict your money so that it doesn't go as far. Um, you just have to work really hard during this time. There's so many messages that we hear that, uh, that are really anti-grace messages that are, that are pro-work. Do more, do more, do more, and produce more. And so I want you guys to hear clearly the gospel of grace. I want to tell you a quick story. A friend of mine is a businessman in town. He runs successful businesses, and he just started one about two years ago that has taken off and has done really, really well. And he was sharing with me while we were at a lunch meeting just about the business, but then about a board meeting that he had. And one of the interesting things that he shared was that even though things are going really well, he had to present this you know, presentation of, of just everything that he has done and to show that this business will continue to be profitable. I mean, that's really the purpose of a business is to continue to be profitable and continue to work hard. And what, what he, he stopped himself as, as we were finishing up this meeting, he realized everything really in the world, including this great business with great people, really is not a gracious message. If this is what I'm hinging my whole life on, is this business, and it's not the grace of God, I'm going to be constantly exhausted. I'm constantly going to be tired. I'm not going to believe in the message of Jesus. A better story really is what we get from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, right? The story of Jean Valjean, this man who was a convict, and he happened to stumble upon this bishop's house who gives him a place to stay. But then in the bishop's home, Valjean steals silver and runs away and then gets caught very quickly by the police who bring him back. But the the bishop himself showed him grace. He showed him mercy, first of all, by not convicting him of anything, but then he shows him grace by actually giving him more silver. I'm not sure if you've read that book or seen the movie or the play, but it's this beautiful picture of redemption. I won't spoil the rest of it for you, but it really changed the, in the entire way that his life operated. And one of the things that the, that the bishop tells him 
is not that I saved you as this gracious bishop, but that God has done something beautiful in your life. The grace of God is something to help us understand his love in some deep and meaningful and impactful ways. And just, just so we're clear on what God's grace is, is it is a free gift that is given to us. And we hear it in this text, by way of, of salvation, by way of saving us. It is a good gift that is given to us in the person and work of Jesus that saves us from our sin, from misery, from death. So there are three ways that we see God's grace in Titus chapter 2. First, that grace comes to us. Second, that grace trains us. And third, that grace motivates us. So the first one is this, that grace comes to us. And it's seen in the first words that we hear. For the grace of God, in verse 11, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We get this news right away, that grace comes to you, as any gift does, and it brings with it salvation. In many ways, I, I could step away right now and say, that's the good news of the Christian life and of the gospel. That grace is given to you and not earned. That the grace of God happens not because you're good enough or that you've done anything enough, but that God, because he is such a good giver, loves his people so much that he would give them himself. That he would grant them salvation by way of what Jesus has done. Titus 2 enables us to sit in this reality and to revel in that good news simply because he loves his people. To reference Les Miserables by way of its title, he even loves the miserables. That's what the, that's what the word means. Les Miserables, it means the miserables, the miserable people who could never do enough, who could, ne who could never be enough, who were never going to be enough, who, as Jean Valjean is evidence of, would always be considered a convict because he was a bad guy. God's grace is so much greater than we can ever imagine because we can't even, we, we can't even fathom this on our own. And we hear it also that the grace is given to all people. In other words, we are not heir to it or disqualified from it. Those who grew up in the church, praise be to God that you are still walking with Jesus and that you know about God's grace. And for those who were far away from God's grace, even if you are now, even if you are sitting here and you know that you are far from the grace of God, praise be to God that he has saved you and that he has brought you in. That it is, it is something that is given freely. It's not something that you do or has been done for you from a, from a human standpoint. But God is a gracious God. Paul, who is writing to Titus, would not have had knowledge of the United States and the complexities of those who might be considered easier to understand Christianity or those who wouldn't. Um, he, wouldn't he wouldn't have known the distinctions between San Antonioans and Houstonians. He wouldn't have seen any of that, but he would have looked around and seen these churches where the gospel had gone forth, where grace had been poured out, and he would have seen different kinds of people and would have just been amazed at God's love. That it went to all sorts of people. That it, wasn't, that, that, that it was even reflective in his own heart as a hard-hearted religious man who knew all the rules but did not know truly the love of God. And once grace broke in, it changed him. Or to see someone who would have been 
polygamous or who would have been sacrificing to idols and that that's what their hope would have been found on. And then because of the grace of God, they gave all of that away and began worshiping in spirit and in truth. This is the beautiful picture of the grace of God. This is why I love going to campus in an extremely secular place, in a place where students will walk by and they'll say, what is this? Oh, it's a Christian organization, bye. Because of the, the fact that God's grace might be given to one of those who might feel hostile or uninterested. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Pilgrims and Priests by, my, by a man named Stefan Poss, and he talks about uh, existing in these post-Christian places, which I would think that UTSA is particularly one of those, places where it used to be widespread to be a Christian, and now it's not so much. Um, and he says that oftentimes we just need to give the good news of Jesus and the gospel of grace, but be willing to sit in the complexity of knowing that there are people that are not going to understand. And in fact, what is, what is most likely is that you will find people who are just apathetic and don't really care a thing about Christianity. But his encouragement isn't to dismiss them and keep them at an arm's distance, but to, but, but to pray for them, to be involved in their lives, not because they're a project, but because they're a person who, who has the image of God on them and has an ability, even like some of these people, again, who are far off in Paul's context, to hear the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here on Sunday. That's what we're worshiping. That is the the good news of God's grace. And so understanding grace's origin and really why this is such a big deal gives us reason to praise him. Gives us reason, as we will later, to sing amazing grace, how sweet the song, that saved a wretch like me. We understand our sin in big ways to know that that sin was sacrificed for. That, that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. It's something that enables us also not to put so much pressure on ourselves to perform in order to feel like we are something special. Christ died for you. If you are a Christian today, you are special by way of, of Jesus shedding his blood on your behalf. I know for some of you this is simple, and even coming out of my mouth, I know that this is so simple, but it is such good news for us to remind ourselves of the goodness of God's grace. We are part of a bigger story, and grace gets the ball rolling for us. The second thing is that grace trains us. And this is an interesting twist of words that, um, that Paul uses. So he said, after he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, verse 12, he says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I love this because the, the word for to train has usages and is really parallel to what it means to train up a child. And so what grace does is it actually humbles us to remember that we are children and that we struggle and that we need our mom and dad to teach us everything. I was reminded whenever we were reading um, from Isaiah chapter 30, the, the, the words that, uh, that God says, for they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. 
who say to the seer, do not see, and the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, um, and so on and so forth. There is this picture, there is this reality that in our sinfulness, and quite frankly, in our humanity, we are like children. And we need to be trained, and we need to, the, the word here is, is a participle that is meant to, meant to say that this training is ongoing. This isn't just training that you have whenever you're being catechized or when you're, you're small or when you first understand the grace of God. This is a training that must happen over the course of your entire life. It does not end. It does not stop. It must continue and go on and on and on because we need to be reminded of the goodness of God's grace and we need to be reminded that this, this work of, of living a gracious life is so countercultural, is so different from everything else our world wants to pull us toward. We must continue to be reminded and to be presented with it and to remember it and for it to even go deeper into our hearts. And so how does this look? It actually reminds us that we are sinful beyond what we can imagine, but then that over the course of our lives, as we're walking with Jesus, as we're understanding the grace of God, we begin to see crevices of sin and even big sin that causes us to, to weep and to be sad over it and to, be, and to feel shame over it. To remember that, um, that in the sight of God, we are still loved beyond what we can imagine, but, but that we, we continue to need to wrestle with the things that we are dealing with. For those who I know who have walked with Jesus for a long time, they can look at a passage like this and realize that they have a ton of ungodliness in them. Even though externally, many of us would say, that is a saint, that is a person who barely sins, that they have worldly passions, but that God needs to continue to break apart some of that sin, some of that hard-heartedness. We even see it in the life of Paul. If you've ever traced along his life, he ends up saying, I am the chief of all sinners. And externally, as we look at him, as we know the sacrifice that it took for him to go away from being a Pharisee to following Jesus and to go into pagan lands as a, as a missionary for God, you would think this is the most saintly, this is the most holy man. And he's saying, I'm more of a sinner than anybody in this room. That is huge. And that, that enables us to continue to be trained in grace so that we can see the, the badness in us, but then to remember how good that grace is that we have. Training in grace also allows us, and I love to tell students this because at first they don't believe me, but over time they, they understand how good it is, that we don't need to take ourselves too seriously. And what this means is that we can be playful and we can remember the goodness of, of God's grace that we are, we are going to be sinful, that we need to take sin very seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. We don't have to feel like we have all the right words or have to do all the right things because those are works of, uh, th th that is acts of works to try to prove your righteousness, but not to, not to pour yourself into a gracious life, right? I love the, the picture given to us in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17, of the one who is singing, who, that, that God is actually singing over us and that we can dance in his presence. I love what Sean Lucas says about this. He says, relationships with others when we understand grace in its depth transforms us. 
Since we're not driven to perform to please God or please others, we do not fear losing the Father's smile, but are freed to risk ourselves for others. Even more so, we can be honest about ourselves, which means defensiveness is gone, replaced by authenticity, confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And those four things, authenticity, confession, repentance, and forgiveness, for any pastor, for any ministry leader, that's what we long for with people. That's what we long for Sunday morning to look like. So Zephaniah chapter 3 says that God trains us to have enjoyment with him. Wouldn't that be great to just remember how good God is, to be humble, but then also mindful of all the beauty that he has done? to look at the sky, to look at the James Webb telescope, if you guys have seen those image, images, and just, just wonder. And just be so excited with what God has done. We're fighting against the devil. We're fighting against our own sin. But we also have times where we just enjoy who God is. That's part of training. I'm coaching my daughter's soccer team for the second time, and it's so fun. She's seven years old. And these are a bunch of seven-year-olds, and they're silly. And so we do, we do a lot of work. I, I'm trying to actually teach them to play soccer, which is harder than you might think. But then I like to have a time where they can just kick the ball at me as hard as they can. Because I want them to remember that soccer is a lot of work and that it's also really fun. And I think that this is part of what God really wants us to see, that the Christian life is really hard, but the Christian life actually has joy in it. It's actually so much better than kicking a soccer ball at a coach who is going to squeal whenever they kick it. That is how much God delights in us. God is an amazing God. The third thing is this, that grace actually motivates us. And I just want to take from uh, verse 14 where it says, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One of the surprising things about grace is that it gives we as Christians a desire. Now, once you hear that, a desire, not, not, not a, we don't have to do this for our own salvation, but it gives us a desire to do good things. When you realize you've been given a good gift, it actually changes everything. That was the message of the article that I quoted from, with, from Sean Lucas, is that grace actually changes everything. And it transforms everything because it makes us actually want to do some good things in the world. Um, I love the book, uh, Tom Holland book, I think I've quoted it here before, called Dominion, where he talks about the, um, how Christianity has changed the world. It's a very long book. It's written in novel form, but I think it's such a helpful resource for us as Christians. And he, he was so captivated with how Christendom and Christianity changed the Western world that he even began to wrestle with his own faith. He was agnostic in writing this book and gives a pretty fair take. At times he can be a little harsh, but honestly he's extremely gracious in his take of this book. But he writes this brilliant book to show just how many ways, and, and he even says so himself, I can't even detail all of the ways that Christianity has, has done better for the world. But he talks about multiple, multiple things of how the world has been better because Jesus died for the sake of people, and those people have wanted to change the world. We can think of it in the terms of, um, of how hospitals, most hospitals are built in the name of Jesus. Um, how many and most humanitarian efforts have, been, have uh, been done in the name of Jesus. Even political 
movements. Many of them have been bettered because of the name of Jesus. But there's also a sense where when Jesus and when grace are absent for people, you can see that, um, that the church has looked a little ridiculous and judgmental and doesn't want people to come into the doors because they feel like people are dirty or they're not doing enough. And Holland, who was an agnostic when writing this book, actually comes to this bit of bewilderment. And he says, I don't know what to do with Christianity. Right now, I can't believe it, as he finishes his book. But he says that there is something amazing whenever God's people understand grace to a, in, in a very deep way. And so the idea that I want to present you is that there is a motivational force in understanding grace that goes beyond just, just, just believing and sitting and reveling in the grace that has been given to us by Jesus. It actually changes the way that we interact with people. It allows us, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Or to proclaim that faith without works is actually no faith at all. That faith is dead from James chapter 2. And so in understanding grace, we can move out into the world, getting to know our neighbors, getting to know people in our lives, and to give them good things. Not because we want to prove to them anything, but because we simply love them. And friends, just so you hear it clearly, God's grace is not better because we are doing anything. We are simply presenting the gift that has been given to us. But ultimately, what Nathan and I and Alex and anyone who is a faithful Christian in the space are doing, as Christian people, we are pointing to Jesus and we are saying that is where your hope and where grace is found. The true love is found through Jesus alone. That is what is good about grace. And so those of us who believe can be satisfied and can be happy, can be joyful beyond all measure. We can long to know him more. It can also train us wherever we are to, to fight on ungodliness and to live more holy and whole lives as people in Christ. Let me pray for us as we go from here. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. Thank you for um, your grace, which was given to us. We thank you that you went to the cross because you knew the needs uh, that were in this building as well as around the world and those who were far off and were trying to do uh, what you knew they couldn't do to try to earn their own salvation. I pray that you would be with us as we go from here. Um, would you allow us uh, to revel in your grace today? Would we, um, would we even dance knowing that you are a good and a gracious God who loves us? I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.